Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. Well, welcome to week two of our journey through the big butts of the Bible. And this week, our big butt is uttered by the prophet Jonah in the belly of a fish. Jonah chapter two, verse six, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Now that is a gigantic but right there. Now, are you familiar with the story of Jonah? If you grew up in the church, certainly you're familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale. And if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have some vague knowledge of a prophet being swallowed by a whale. Um, but what is the book of Jonah about? Well, if you were to scan through uh, the Amazon uh, versions of it, you would see all kinds of books about a whale. It's got to be about a whale, a big fish. But in the book of Jonah, the fish appears in two sentences. The book of Jonah is not about a fish. The book of Jonah may be a good children's story, but to get what's going on, you've got to be an adult. For us to begin to understand the big butt in Jonah chapter two, we've got to go back to Jonah chapter one. Now, Jonah is a horribly flawed person. We talked about this last week with the Apostle Peter. I love that the Bible doesn't gloss over the negative parts or the flaws of its characters. And Jonah is an extremely flawed person, and this becomes clear throughout the story. And early on in the interpretation of Jonah, Jonah was seen as a reluctant but still righteous prophet. But in the last 500 years of scholarship, we've begun to see Jonah in a different light. In fact, in his entire commentary of the book of Jonah, the only thing that Martin Luther could say on the prophet's behalf was he was God's dear child and that he chats so uninhibitedly with God. That's it. Those are the only positive reinforcements. And so in Jonah chapter one, God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and they are the nation that wiped out the 10 tribes of Israel, wiped them right off the map. Uh, they ceased to exist as a people group. That is because of Assyria. That is because of Nineveh. Uh, they were the most brutal and violent and oppressive of all the ancient empires. Okay, they're the bad guys, and now God is calling Jonah to go preach to them. Jonah says, no, 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 no. God's message is for Israel. It's not for other nations, and it's certainly not for them. Jonah would be damned, literally, before he would see God's message, God's blessings, perhaps, on the Ninevites, the Assyrians. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, where is Nineveh? Well, it's east. Uh, where's Jonah go? Well, he goes 
west. And not just west, Tarshish is the equivalent of what we would call Timbuktu. Okay? It was the last port before the vast ocean. It was the edge of the world. Jonah doesn't just flee, he actually flees as far as you can go in the opposite direction. God says, go preach to Nineveh. Jonah says, no way, Jose. Not a chance, Vance. Directed to travel over land, he went to sea. Sent to the big city, he bought a one-way ticket to the end of the world. Why? Why does he go in the opposite direction? Well, we don't find out until chapter four, but there he tells us exactly why he ran. He ran because he knew God would find a way to show mercy to the Ninevites, to the bad guys, to them. When uh, our son Dex was little, he was go, go, go all the time. And if he saw something that looked exciting or that there was an adventure, he would go for it, okay? Uh, this was especially true in parking lots. So we would squeeze his hand really tight whenever we got out of the car and walked into a store through a parking lot. Why? Because jumping off that bench may look fun, but staying next to mom and dad is where the life is. If, if he lets go of our hand and he starts running to that cool truck in the parking lot, he thinks he's running towards life, but he's running away from it. Jesus comes into our lives and he's like, follow me. And that begins to compete with all of the things that we want and expect our lives to be. We think we know where the life is. We tell Jesus, I know where the life is. The, the life is with that person, with that girl. Uh, I know where the life is. The life is with more money in my bank account. That's where the life is. God, you keep not answering my prayers. And Jesus says, follow me and I'll show you where the life is. Hold my hand. Uh, grip my hand tightly and I'll show you where the life is. And for Jonah, it was smack dab in the middle of a people group that he hated. That's where the life is. And Jonah ran away from it. Jonah's core vision of his life is being challenged and he runs away. Jonah thinks he is running for his life, but actually he is running from his life. So God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and instead he goes down to Joppa, down to a boat, down below deck, and then he lays down. Did you notice that every step away from God's desire is a step down? Jonah will go even further down in chapter two, but we're not there yet. So here is Jonah asleep in his disobedience, below deck, headed to Timbuktu. And then a huge storm arounds, surrounds them. And the captain finds the prophet sleeping and he says, arise, go call on your God. And in Hebrew, it is the same exact words that God used when he called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Arise, go. Jonah thinks he might be dreaming, hearing again the voice of God that he is running away from. But no, this time it's the captain, not the Lord. Jonah rubs his eyes and there is this Gentile captain with the very words that God had spoken to him. Arise, go. What's going on? God sent his prophets to point the pagans toward himself, and yet now it is the pagans pointing the prophet to God. Verse 9, he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship, I, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah finally speaks, and he says, I fear the Lord. I fear the God of heaven and earth. And us reading the text are like, no, you don't. You don't fear God. 
Who says that they fear God? Jonah. Who actually fears God? The pagan sailors. This is the height of religious hypocrisy. You don't fear God. You can see it right here. His words and his religious confession of faith are in deep contradiction to the choices that he is making. So the, toy, the storyteller is just feeding us this, this hypocritical man of God. And we as the readers are going, whoa, this is great. This is rich. He doesn't really fear God. What kind of person disobeys the Lord and then proclaims that he worships and fears him? Oh, that's me. That's you. The moment we begin to feel superior to Jonah is the moment that we realize the Bible is a mirror and it reveals us. Oh, really? You've never had a contradiction between what you say you believe and how you live? Really? Never? You're so much better than Jonah. You must be asleep at the wheel. And the sailors, they see this contradiction in Jonah. Verse 10, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? And then the storyteller whispers in our ear. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. They're pointing out his hypocrisy. And often this happens. It is those on the outside, those uh, that are not a part of the people of God that are able to see the contradiction, the religious hypocrisy of the people of God. Right here in the Bible, we see non-believers being used by God to point out the hypocrisy of God's people. And God still uses those outside the church to point out the hypocrisy in the church. And you know what we do? We cry foul. We say, they're, they're persecuting us. They're wrong. We're right. We get this martyr complex when God just wants us to be humble and honest. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Why does Jonah say this? Why does he say, throw me overboard? Why doesn't he say, I disobeyed the Lord. Let's turn the boat back around, head towards Joppa, and then the storm will stop. Not only would the storm have stopped, I bet they would have had the best sailing wind they ever experienced. But Jonah doesn't say that. Rather, Jonah doubles down. He says, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. He's trying to get even further away from God. What begins as a step west instead of east soon accelerates into a maelstrom of self-destruction. He's saying, I'd rather die than do the will of God. I'd rather die than give those dirty sinners a chance to repent. His heart is done. He's become calloused. Have you ever seen, like on a National Geographic documentary or something, villagers walking on burning hot coals? How do they do that? That would hurt, that would burn our feet so badly. The key is in their feet. See, most of them don't wear shoes, never have. And their soles of the feet become so calloused from all of the tread on them. A thick layer of skin covers their feet. It is said that you could stick a needle through the bottom of their foot and they would not feel it. That's how they can walk on coals, because of all the dead skin on the bottom, calloused. And I think that there are some 
hearing this message now, watching it online, listening to it in your car or as you run, and you have a calloused heart. See, you've been to church so many years. You've been a part of worship services so many times. You've heard the Bible stories a thousand times. You've done church for so long now that now the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, could cut you so deep and you won't even feel it. It's in one ear, out the other. Is your heart calloused? Could God, could the Spirit of God want to remove the callousness of our hearts today? Verse 15. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. All of this is so ironic because Jonah was fleeing God because he didn't want to go show God's truth to the pagans, to the wicked. And that is exactly what he ends up doing. Unintentionally, uh, Daniel Timmer writes, Jonah's anti-missionary activity has ironically resulted in the conversion of non-Israelites. Look at these sailors. These men are now converted. And this is no foxhole conversion, right? You're familiar with a a foxtail conversion, okay? People are, are under fire. They're under duress. And they pray to God, God, if you just get me out of this mess, I promise I'll serve you the rest of my life. And then God gets them out of that mess. The gunfire ceases. The bombs, the bombs stop dropping. And they remember, remember their vow no more. These men in Jonah were different. They made their vows after the danger had passed. That indicates that they were not seeking God for what God could do for them, but simply for the greatness of God. That is the beginning of true faith. These sailors are the ones we're to look to as an example, not the man of God, not the prophet, not the righteous Jonah. Maybe you too have had a foxhole conversion. God, if you get me out of this financial struggle, I promise I'll get things right with you. God, please just provide me with a spouse and I'll follow you with everything. God, please bless us with a child. Live your vow. Maybe God hasn't answered your prayers. Could you still live your vow, whether he answers or not, whether he gets you out of the gunfire? If not, we're like Jonah, running away from God because it seems his hope for your life is different than yours. Verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, there is something fishy going on in verse 17, okay? And now we are going to have a whale of a time exploring the depths of Jonah chapter two. And at this point in the sermon, this is where we're going to get deep, okay? Puns all intended. I think that for many of us, we assume that once Jonah is thrown overboard, he is then immediately swallowed by a fish, spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, only to be vomited out right in front of Nineveh. Today, I'd like to explore the possibility that that is not what actually happened. Rather, instead of being swallowed immediately and spending three days and three nights in the fish, what if there was something more going on here? What if there was something deeper? Now, if you grew up hearing this story, um, 
this is going to be an off-ramp, okay? We're gonna explore a different road, okay? And it starts with the phrase, three days and three nights. This phrase seems to foreshadow the depths to which Jonah had sunk. See, three days and three nights was an idiom in the ancient world. It was a common way of saying a long journey. You can see this in chapter three of Jonah where Nineveh is described as a three days walk. Three days and three nights isn't about time. It's a way to talk about distance, a journey. And we see this in Genesis 22, Exodus 3, Exodus 5, Book of Numbers, on and on. Three days and three nights is a long time. It's a great distance, a journey. There's this ancient Sumerian myth that predates the book of Jonah and predates much of the Bible. And this would have been familiar to the ancient world. It's called the descent of Inanna. And in this myth, Inanna is planning on taking a trip to the underworld. And it's a dangerous task. Whenever you descend into hell or the grave, it's pretty dangerous. And because it's so dangerous, Inanna asks the gods for help if anything goes wrong. And of course, things do go wrong. Inanna is killed by another goddess. And it is at this point that the text reads, after three days and three nights had passed, Inanna's messenger fills the heavens with complaints for her. Now, it is believed that it is here where we first discover that three days and three nights doesn't just equal 72 hours. It is the distance it takes to get from the underworld to the next realm. If this, was back, if this was in the back of the mind of the ancient Hebrews, then the phrase, Jonah remained in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, is a foreshadowing of the journey that Jonah goes on. If you were reading this in the ancient world, when you read three days, three nights, you would have perked up, oh, this is where things are about to get interesting. It's going to get dark. So the fish is not God's punishment for Jonah. The fish is God's salvation. Jonah attempts suicide, ends up in the realm of the dead. And the fish is what God uses to bring him back to life. And this is where we find our big butt, inside the intestinal tract of a great fish. The descent into the underworld became a staple narrative, fusing devotional prayer and storytelling in the ancient world. There, I think there's something going on here. I don't, I'm not convinced he was swallowed right away, but rather swallowed after the descent. Just look at the way different Bible translations interpret these verses in Jonah chapter 2. Uh, the NET says, I went down to the very bottoms of the mountains. The gates of the netherworld barred me in forever. But you brought me up from the pit, O Lord, my God. The message translation, ocean gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root. I was as far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. But you pulled me up from the grave alive, O oh God, my God. Jonah did not just go into the belly of the fish. He went into the belly of the grave. Another interesting note. When God sends a fish to rescue Jonah, it, in Hebrew, it is a male fish, okay, a dog. And when Jonah prays from the belly of the fish, it is a female fish, Daga. And for many years, 
scholars assumed that this was a clerical error. Uh, uh, when, when, when translating from one to another, they missed this part. But there's this Jewish tradition of there being actually two fish. Uh, the male fish and then a female fish. And perhaps it was meant to foreshadow the rebirth inside of Jonah, the new life that is given. That even in the depths of the underworld, you can, there's this pregnancy with new life. Perhaps Jonah wasn't immediately swooped up by the great fish, but rather Jonah drowned. He sunk to the bottom of the sea and was barred in by the unknown underworld forever. And the great fish becomes his vehicle of salvation. And it takes the fish three days and three nights, right? The distance to journey from the underworld. And at some point on this return voyage in his watery tomb, Jonah recognizes his rescue. He knows he doesn't deserve rescue. He knows he ran away. There in, there in the darkness at the bottom of the sea, Jonah sees a huge but. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit, from the grave. I love the word up here. To go up, to ascend, to climb. It's the first upward movement in the entire narrative. It was down to Joppa, down to a boat, down in the bottom of the boat, laying down, down into the sea and down into the grave. And now this huge butt brings them up. God is rescuing Jonah. And Jonah is spit out on dry land. And then guess what? Jonah lives his vow. In the belly of the great fish, he does not have a foxhole conversion. Rather, he lives his prayer and goes to Nineveh and speaks God's message. Live your vow. Justin Carl was a four and a half year old boy and he was misbehaving. So his mom sent him to his room and as he walks into his room right before he closes the door. He says, I'm running away. And the mom thinks back to when she was a little girl. And by saying, I'm running away, you're really saying, please notice me. I'm important too. And so she responds, okay, Justin, you can run away from home. And then she starts picking out some clothes. Mom, what are you doing? Well, she says, I'm gonna need my coat. I'm gonna need my nightgown. She puts everything in a bag right by the front door. Justin, are you sure you want to run away from home? He says, yeah, but, but where are you going? Mom says, well, if you're going to run away from home, then, then mom's going to go with you because I would never want you to be alone. I love you too much. Even when we run away, God is always going to be with us because he loves us so much. Because he knows where the life is that even at the bottom of the ocean, barred by the gates of the underworld, you are not too far to elude God's rescue. Have some decisions in your life led you into the deep where you're drowning and you don't have much left. You are never too far away from God. Instead of saying, when you're at your lowest, God is furthest away, the book of Jonah tells us that even when we are at the lowest, the deepest depths in the universe, God is never too far away. If you think you've got to get out of your fish before you go to the Lord, 
Wipe that from your mind. Whatever your crisis is today, you can go to the Lord. Don't even wait for me to finish. Live your vow. God, we thank you for Jonah and how much we see of us in him. And God, we thank you that you also go to the depths for us. And it, it was not a great fish as the vehicle of our salvation. It was a great cross. But the same great love that rescued Jonah is the same great love that rescues us. May we live a life and, and not just uh, have a foxhole conversion, but God, that we would live a life and go do what you ask of us. We need you. We love you. In your name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is Mother's Day, so we're going to press pause on the big butts of the Bible. We felt like it was appropriate on Mother's Day to, to not talk about big butts. Okay. And so we're going to save the finale of that for the week after Mother's Day. Next week's Mother's Day, we've got some gifts for moms. We've got a lot of fun things planned. So we encourage you to come and bring uh, every woman that you know in your life. Uh, we're going to honor women on that day. It's going to be absolutely incredible. 10 a.m. at the Bullard High School Theater, or you can watch us online. We hope you have an amazing week. Peace in Ukraine.